Alright, this is Statistics Chapter 11, T for 2. Tests between the means of different groups. Alright, um, difficulty scale, three smiley faces. Here we continue with more inferential tests, but they're just as straightforward as the one sample Z test we did in Chapter 10. Uh, says there's lots of Excel. What you'll learn about in this chapter. Bullet point when the t-test for independent means is appropriate to use. Bullet point how to compute the observed t-value. Bullet point how to use the t-test function. Bullet point how to use the t-test data analysis tools to compute the t-value. Bullet point how to interpret the t-value and understand what it means. Introduction to the t-test for independent samples. Even though eating disorders are recognized for their seriousness, little research has been done that compares the prevalence and intensity of symptoms across different cultures. John P. Um, something and John F. Shoemaker and S.S. Nathawat undertook this comparison with groups of 297 Australian and 249 Indian university students. Uh, each Student was tested on the eating attitudes test and the Goldfarb fear of fat scale. The group scores were compared with the Australian participants. Indian students scored higher on both of the tests. The results of the eating attitudes tests were T um, subscript 544 equals negative 4.19. P is less than 0. Uh, 0 0.0001 and the results of the Goldfarb fear of fat scale were T subscript 544 equals negative 7.64 and P is less than 0.0001. Now, just what does all this mean? Read on. Why was a t-test for independent means used? Um, so, uh, his colleagues were interested in finding out whether there was a difference in the average scores of one or more variables between the two groups which were independent of one another. By independent, we mean the two groups were not related in any, any way. Each participant in the study was tested only once. Using the t-test for independent means, the researchers concluded that for each of the outcome variables, the differences between the two groups were significant at or beyond the uh, 0 0.0001 level. Such a small type 1 error means that there is very little chance that the difference in scores between the groups is due to something other than group membership, in this case representing nationality, culture, or ethnicity. Right, path to wisdom and knowledge. To use figure 11.1, the flowchart first introduced in chapter 9, to select the appropriate test statistic, follow the highlighted sequence of steps. They take you to the t-test for independent means. Number one, differences between the groups of Australian and Indian students are being explored. Number two, participants are being tested only once. Number three, there are two groups. Number four, the appropriate test statistic is t-test for independent samples. Alright, so we have the flowchart. And in the flowchart, we are going um, kind of down the right-hand side, except... Um, except we're, we're moving inwards. We're not going all the way down to the bottom on the right-hand side, but we're going to make a left turn. Anyway, 
Are you examining relationships between variables or examining the difference between groups of one or more variables? I'm examining differences between groups of one or more variables. Are the same participants being tested more than once? No. Uh, how many groups are you dealing with? Uh, two groups and you're going to use the t-test for independent samples. Almost every statistical test makes certain assumptions that underlie the use of the test. For example, the t-test assumes that the amount of variability in each of the two groups is equal. The name of this assumption is the homogeneity of variance assumption. Although this assumption can be safely violated if the sample size is big enough, small samples and a violation of this assumption can lead to ambiguous results and conclusions. Although such assumptions are rarely violated, it is worth knowing that they exist. Computing the test statistic. The formula for computing the t-value for the t-test for independent means is shown in formula 11.1. The difference between the means makes up the numerator and the amount of variation within and between each of the two groups makes up the denominator. So this is kind of a big equation. Um, you have t equals and then in the numerator is the um, the mean of uh, group 1 minus the mean of group 2 and the denominator is the square root of um, the sample size of 1 minus 1 um, all multiplied by the uh, uh, the the variance for group one squared, and then you add that to the the same thing for group two. So it's the um, in parentheses you have the the sample size of group two minus one, um, all multiplied by the variance squared of group uh, two. Now that is over the sample size of group 1 plus the sample size of group 2 minus 2 and all of that is multiplied by the sample size of group 1 plus the sample size sample size of group 2 over the sample size of group 1 multiplied by the sample size of group 2 and these two uh, these are these two sections of the formula are multiplied together and then that all of that you take the square root of all of that <sighs> alright so nothing new here at all it's just a matter of plugging in the correct values so time for an example here are some data reflecting the number of words remember following a program designed to help Alzheimer's patients remember the order of daily tasks Study participants in group 1 were taught using visuals and those in group 2 were taught using visuals and intense verbal rehearsal. We'll use the data to compute the test statistic step by step. Um, so you have group 1 values and then you have group 2 values. Um, it's, in a, it's in a table. Um, so yeah, okay. So here's the famous eight steps to the, the computation of the t-test statistic. State the null and research hypothesis as represented by formula 11.2. below. The null hypothesis states that there is no difference between the means of group 1 and group 2. For our purposes, the research hypothesis shown in formula 11.3 states there is no difference between the means of the two groups. The research hypothesis is a two-tailed, non-directional research hypothesis because it posits a difference, but in no particular direction. 
the null hypothesis is as follows h subscript 0 colon uh, mu subscript 1 equals mu subscript 2 and the research hypothesis is this h subscript 1 colon the mean of uh, uh, x bar 1 pi x bar subscript 2 um, pi what? Okay, anyway, is that the level of risk or the level of significance or type 1 error associated with the null hypothesis? The level of risk for of, or type 1 error or level of significance, any other names, is 0 0.05. This number is completely up to the researcher. Number three, select the appropriate test statistic. Using the flowchart shown in figure 11.1, .1, we determine that the appropriate test is a t-test for independent samples or means. It is not a t-test for dependent means, a common mistake beginning students make, because the groups are independent of one another. Compute the test statistic value called the obtained value. Now your chance to plug in values and do some computation. Uh, the formula for the t-value was shown in formula 11.1. When the values in our example are plugged in, we get the equation shown in formula 11.4. We already computed the mean and standard deviation. So T E all right, so this is the formula. They plugged in the numbers into the formula. With the numbers plugged in, formula 11.5 shows how we get the final value of negative 0.1371, which we can round to negative 0.14. The value is negative because a larger value, the mean of group 2, which is 5.53, is being subtracted from a smaller number, the mean of group 1, which is 5.43. Remember, though, that because the test is non-directional and any difference is hypothesized, the sign of the difference is meaningless. In other words, you can ignore it. Okay. Um, when a non-directional test is discussed, you may find that the t-value is represented as an absolute value looking like this, absolute value of t, uh, which ignores the sign of the value altogether. Your teacher may express the t-value as such to emphasize that the sign is relevant for a one-directional test, but surely not for a non-directional one, and don't call me Shirley. Uh, Alright, so step number five, um, determine the value needed for rejection of the null hypothesis using the appropriate table of critical values for a particular statistics. Here's where we go to table B2 in appendix B, which lists the critical values for the t-test. We can use this distribution to see whether Two independent means differ from one another by comparing what we would expect by chance, the tabled or critical value, with what we observe the obtained value. Our first task is to determine the degrees of freedom, or DF, which approximates the sample size. For this particular test statistic, the degrees of freedom is n subscript 1 minus 1 plus n, script n subscript 2 minus 1, or n subscript 1 subscript 1 plus n subscript 2 uh, minus 2. So for each group, add the sample size and of the two samples and subtract 2. Oh, I see what they did. Okay. Uh, in this example, 30 plus 30 minus 2 equals 58. This is the degrees of freedom value for this test statistic, not necessarily for any other. The idea of degrees of freedom means pretty much the same thing no matter what statistical test you use. 
By the way, what the degrees of freedom is computed for specific tests can differ from teacher to teacher and from book to book. We tell you that the correct degrees of freedom for the above test is computed as n subscript 1 minus 1 plus n n subscript 2 minus 1. However, some teachers believe that you should use the smaller of the n's, a more conservative alternative you may want to consider. Okay, um, Using this number 58, the level of risk you are willing to take earlier defined as 0 0.05 and a two-tailed test because there is no direction to the research hypothesis. You can use the t-test table to look up the critical value. At the 0.05 level with 58 degrees of freedom for a two-tailed test, the value needed for rejection of the null hypothesis is, oops, there's no 58 degrees of freedom in the table. What do you do? Well, you can select the value that corresponds to 55. You're being conservative and that you're using a value for a sample smaller than what you have and the tabled or critical t value will be larger. If you go for 60 degrees of freedom, the closest to your value 58, you will be closer to the size of the sample but a bit liberal in that 60 is larger than 58. Although statisticians have different opinions about what to do in this situation, let's go with the value that's closest to the actual sample size which is 60. So the value needed to reject the null hypothesis with 58 degrees of freedom at the 0 0.5 five significance level is 2.001. Alright, step six. Compare the obtained value and the critical value. The obtained value is negative 0.14, which is uh, the value, the answer to the t-test formula. And the critical value for rejection of the null hypothesis that group one and group two perform the same is 2.001, which was gotten from the table. The critical value of 0.001 represents the value at which chance is the most attractive explanation for any of the observed differences between the two groups given 30 participants in each group and the willingness to take a 0.05 level of risk. Uh, steps 7 and 8, decision time. If the obtained value is more extreme than the critical value, remember figure 9.2, the null hypothesis cannot be accepted. If the obtained value does not exceed the critical value, the null hypothesis is the most attractive explanation. In this case, the obtained value, negative 0.14, does not exceed the critical value, uh, 2.001. It is not extreme enough for us to say that the difference uh, between groups 1 and 2 occurred by anything other than chance. If the value were, were greater than 2.001, it would represent a value that is just like getting 8, 9, or 10 heads in a coin toss so extreme that we believe something other than chance is going on. In the case of the coin, it would be an unfair coin. In this example, it would be one of the ways of teaching memory skills to people with Alzheimer's is better than the other. So to what can we attribute this small difference between the, the two groups? If we stick to with our current argument, then we could say the difference is due to anything from sampling error to browning error to simply variability in the participants' scores. Most important, we're pretty sure, but of course not and can never be 100% sure, that the difference is not due to anything in particular that one group or the other group experienced during the treatment. So how do I interpret T subscript 58 equals 0 0.14 uh, P is greater than 0.05. Bullet point, T represents a test statistic that was used. Bullet point, 58 is the number of degrees of freedom. 
bullet point negative 0.14 is the obtained value calculated using the formula we showed you earlier in the chapter. Number five, P is greater than 0.05. The really important part of this little phrase indicates that the probability is greater than 0. Point, it is greater than 5% that on any one of the tests null hypothesis, the two groups do not differ because of the way they were taught. Also note that P is greater than 0.05 can also appear as P equals NS for non-significant. And now using Excel's t-test function. Interestingly, Excel does not have a function that computes the t-value. Oh, I'm wasting time. Sorry. Um, just uh, bear with me and uh, keep accessioning. Okay. Um... Interestingly, Excel does not have a function that computes the t-value for the difference between two independent groups. Rather, t.test um, returns the probability of that value occurring. Very useful, but if you need the t-value value for a report, you know the manual method for computing it. Here are the steps for using the, the t.test function. Number one, enter the individual scores into columns in a worksheet available as um, chapter 11 data set 1 label one column as group 1 and one as group 2 you see as you see partially in figure 11.2 uh, uh, step 2 select the cell into which you want to enter the t-test function in this example we are going to have the t-test value returned to cell d1 and that location was not chosen for any particular reason step 3 now click formulas, more functions, uh, statistical menu option, and scroll down to select t-test. The function looks like this. It equals t period test, parenthesis, array 1, comma, array 2, comma, tails, comma, type. Where array 1 is the cell uh, addresses for the first set of, of data. In this case, it's A2 through A31. Array 2 is the cell addresses for the second set of data. In this case, it's B2 um, through B31. Tails is a one or two, depending on whether this is a one-tailed directional, which is a one, or a two-tailed non-directional, which is a two a test. And um, type is one if it is a paired t-test, two. Uh, if it is, oh, so it so type is um, a paired t-test is one, and then you put two if it is a two-sample test independent with equal variances. And three, if it is a two-sample test with unequal variances. Step four. For this example, shown in 11.3, the finished t-test looks like this. It equals t-test, um, parenthesis, uh, array one, and then array two. I mean, they, they have the cell values in there. Um, and then the type is two for two-tailed test. I mean, the tails is two for two-tailed test. And then the type is 1, so I guess this is a paired t-test. Uh, click OK and you see the value returned is 0 0.077992. Okay, so notice two important things about t-test. First, it does not compute the t-value, but second, it returns the likelihood that the resulting t-value is due to chance given that the null hypothesis is true, of course, 
And we said earlier the interpretation of a t-value with an associated probability of 88. And remember, it can only go to 1 or 100 is that it is pretty darn high. Believe it or not, way back in the olden days when your author and perhaps your instructor were graduate students, there were only huge mainframe computers and not a hint of such marvels as we have today on our desktops. In other words, everything that was done in our statistics class was done only by hand. The great benefit of this, first, it helps you better understand the process. Second, should you be without a computer, you can still do the analysis. So if the computer does not spit out all of what you need, use some creativity. As long as you know the basic formula for the obtained value and have the appropriate tables, you'll do fine. Oops, the first set of data in Array 1 and the second set of data in Array 2 have a different number of data points and you enter 1 as a type of data. Then the t-test function returns the uh, hashtag NA error message. Why? Because you can't have unequal numbers of values in your groups but have paired or dependent scores. You'll see how to deal with this situation in chapter 12. There is a pretty dramatic difference between what you get when you compute the t-value using a formula and when you use one of the functions. Remember that when you did it manually you had to use a table to locate the critical value and then compare the observed value with that. Well, with t-test and the data analysis tools discussion that follows later in this chapter, there is no more uh, p is less is less than that's because Excel computes the exact, exact momento, precise, one-of-a-kind probability. No need for tables, just get that number, which is the probability associated with the outcome. Using the amazing data analysis tools to compute the t-value. Once again, we'll find that the t data analysis tools gives us all the information we need to make a very informed judgment about the value of t and its significance. The tools also provide us with other information that, as you will see, is very helpful and saves us the effort of extra analyses as well. One, uh, uh, step one, click data, uh, data analysis, and you will see the data analysis box. Step two, click t-test. Two sample, assuming equal variances, and then click OK, and you will see the descriptive statistics dialog box uh, as shown in figure 11.5. Step three, in variable one range, enter the cell addresses for the first group of data. In our sample spreadsheet, you saw the figure 11.2. The cell addresses are um, A1 through A31, and this includes the label group 1. In the variable 2's range, enter the cell addresses for the second group of data. In our sample spreadsheet that you saw in figure 11.2, the cell addresses are B1 through B31. This includes the label group uh, 2. Step 5, click the labels box so that the labels are included in the output that Excel generates. Step 6, click the output range button and enter an address on the same worksheet as the data you want, the, as the data where you want the output located. In this example, we are placing the output beginning in cell D1. Step 7, click OK and as you can see in figure 11.6, you get a summary of important data relating to this analysis. We cleaned it up a bit by reformatting so it fits nicely. Below that is table 11.1, which lists the descriptions of what each statistic means. So, um, yeah, they, they have a whole bunch of, uh, it returns a whole bunch of values just like the other data analysis. This one has mean, uh, 
so it has a group one values and it has group two values. It's got mean variance, observations, pooled variance, a hypothesized mean difference, um, DF, which I guess is uh, uh, something freedom, uh, T stat, uh, and you know a couple, and then it's got like one the probability of the one tail, the T T critical one tail, and then the probability of the two tail and then the t critical two tail so it's all right guide to output of oh, okay so it's going to explain it so this is table 11.1 guide to output of t test two sample assuming equal variances um, so the mean is the average score of each variable the variance is the variance of each variable observations is the number of observations in each group pooled variance is the variance for both groups hypothesized mean difference is what you may have indicated to be the difference you expect back in the dialog box. Um, DF is degrees of freedom, so DF means the degrees of freedom. T-stat is the value of the T-statistic. Um, P parenthesis T is less than or equal to T. Um, it, one tail is the probability of T occurring by chance for a one tail test. T-critical one tail is the critical value one needs exceeded for a one-tailed test. Remember those critical values from chapter 9. Um, so P parenthesis T is less than or equal to T for two-tailed tests. So is the probability of T occurring by chance for a two-tailed test. T critical two-tailed is the critical value one needs to exceed for two-tailed test. Uh, remember those critical values from chapter 9. Remember and that it only takes one moment to pretty up the data analysis tools output, copy it from Excel, and paste it or whatever you need from it, from it into another document. Results. The results of the analysis shown that although group 2 did have a higher score than group 1, that score was not significantly different. The T value, of, the T value for the two-tailed test was negative 0.14 with an associated P-value of 89. Uh, up 0.89, uh, 89%. Uh, here's the summary. Special effects are those tools, are those differences for real. Okay, now you have some idea how to test for the difference between the averages of two separate or independent groups. Good job, but that's not the whole story. You may have a significant difference between groups, but the $64,000 question is not only whether that difference is statistically significant but also whether it is meaningful we mean there is there enough separation between the distributions that represent each group that the difference you observe and the difference you test is really a difference hmm. welcome to the world of effect size effect size ES is the measure of how different two groups are from one another and it is not just about how big the difference is, it's a measure of the magnitude of the treatment. It's kind of like asking how big is big. And what's especially interesting about computing effect size is that sample size is not directly taken into account. Calculating effect size and making a judgment about it adds a whole new dimension to understanding significant outcomes. Let's take the following example. A researcher tests the question of whether participation in community-sponsored services, such as card games, field trips, etc., increases the quality of life, as rated from 1 to 10, with 1 being a higher quality of life than 10 for older Americans. Um, 
the researcher implements the treatment over a six-month period and then at the end of the treatment period measures quality of life in the two groups. Each group consists of 50 participants over the age of 80 and one group got the services and the other group did not. And yes, the participants were randomly assigned two groups, etc. Here are the results. Uh, the mean for no community services was 7.46. The mean for community services was 6.90. The standard deviation for no community services was 1.03. And the standard deviations for community services was 1.53. And the verdict is there is that the difference is significant at the 0.034 level, which is P is less than 0.05, right? So there's a significant difference, but what about the magnitude of the difference? Both the the great Puba of effect size was Jacob Cohen, who wrote some of the most influential and important articles on this topic. He authored uh, a very important and influential book, Your Stats Teacher Has It on His or Her Shelf, that instructs uh, researchers how to figure out the effect size for a variety of different questions that were asked about differences and relationships between variables. Here's how you do it. Computing and understanding effect size. Just as with many other statistical techniques, there are many different ways to compute effect size. We are going to show you the simplest and most straightforward. You can learn more about effect sizes by consulting some of the references we'll be giving you in a minute. By far, the most direct and simple way to compute effect size is to simply divide the difference between the means by any one of the standard deviations. Danger, Will Robinson. This does assume that the standard deviations and the amount of variance between groups are equal to one another. For example, above will do this. ES equals um, the mean of group 1 minus the mean of group 2 over the standard deviation, where ES is the effect size, um, X bar subscript 1 is the mean for group 1, X bar subscript 2 is the mean for group 2, and S is the standard deviation from either group. So I guess that's why you assume they're equal. Um, so in our example, ES equals, they plug the numbers in. So the effect size for this example is 0 0.37. What does it mean? One of the very cool things that Cohen and others figured out was that was just what a small, medium, and large effect size is. They used the following guidelines. A small effect size ranges from 0 to 0 0.2. A medium effect size ranges from 0 0.2 to 0 0.5. A large effect size is any value above 0 0.5. Our example with the effect size of 0 0.37 is characterized as medium, but what does it really mean? Effect size gives us an idea about the relative positions of one group to another. For example, if the effect size is zero, that means that both groups tend to be very similar and overlap entirely. There is no difference between the two distributions of scores. On the other hand, an effect size of one means that the two groups overlap about 45%, having that much in common. And as you might expect, as the effect size gets larger, it reflects the increasing lack of overlap between the two groups. Jacob Cohen's book, Statistical Power Analysis for the Behavioral Sciences, first published in 1967 with the latest edition, 1988, published by Rootledge, is a must for anyone who wants to go beyond the very general information that is presented here. 
is it full of tables and techniques for allowing you to understand why a statistically significant finding is only half the story. The other half is the magnitude of that effect. So you really want to be cool about this effect size thing. You can do it the simple way, as we just showed you, by subtracting means from one another and dividing by either standard deviation, or you can really wow that good-looking classmate who sits next to you. The grown-up formula for the effect size uses the pooled variance in the denominator of the ES equation that you saw above. The pooled standard deviation is sort of an average of the standard deviation from group 1 and the standard deviation from group 2. Here's the formula. Um, so ES equals in the numerator uh, x bar uh, subscript 1 minus x bar subscript 2 um, over, uh, this is the denominator, the whole denominator is the square root of sigma superscript 2 subscript 1 plus sigma superscript 2 subscript 2 over uh, 2. Where ES is the effect size, x bar subscript 1 is the mean for group 1, x bar subscript 2 is the mean for group 2. Sigma superscript 2 subscript 1 is the variance for group 1, and sigma superscript 2 subscript 2 is the uh, very variance for group 2. If we applied this formula to the same numbers we showed you above, we would get a whopping effect size of 0.43. Not very different from 0.337, which we got using the more direct method shown earlier. But the results are in the medium size category. Both results are in the medium size category, but this formula is a more precise method and one that is well worth knowing about. A very cool effect size calculator. Why not take the A train and go right to, um, they have a website, where statistician Lee Becker from the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, has developed an effect size calculator. With this calculator, you just plug in the values, click compute, and the program does the rest, as you see in figure 11.7. Thanks, Dr. Becker. Real world stats. There's nothing like being prepared. So say the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. But what's the best way to teach preparedness? In this study by Sirkan Selick from Kirkale University in Turkey, online versus face-to-face -face aid instruction were compared with one another to test the effectiveness of mode of delivery. Interestingly, the same instructor teaching in both modes, the online forum, resulted in higher achievement scores at the end of the course. What did the researcher do for his analysis? Independent t-tests, of course, and the resulting t-values showed a difference between pre- and post-test scores. Want to know more? Go online or go to the library and look for the the book. Summary. Learning about the t-test is your first introduction to performing a real statistical test and trying to understand the whole matter of significance from an applied point of view. Be sure that you understand what's in this chapter before you move on and be sure you can do by hand the few calculations that are asked for. Next we move on to using another form of the same test. Only this time there are two measures taken from one group of participants rather than one measure taken from two separate groups. Okay, so that is the end of 
chapter 11 of statistics. All right, um, and goodbye.